You know, Rob, you know, one of my favorite movie stars uh, in the world right now is Ryan Reynolds. I just I just find the guy to be incredibly talented. He's got the charisma of the rock, the acting talent of a Ryan Gosling all rolled up into this one. Just incredible talent ball. And he's a good Canadian kid to add on top of that. Nonetheless, I've also over the years become a pretty big Sandra Bullock fan. Um, like she's never been in my top three or, or anything, but I've always kind of been a big Sandra Bullock fan. And so I loved it back in 2009 when the two did this film called The Proposal, which is wonderful, wonderful film. Anyway, news just broke this morning that Paramount is looking at reteaming Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds with directors Adam and Aaron Nee. Now, you might recognize the names. They haven't done anything big at this point, but they are these up-and-coming directors, and they've also been set to direct the Masters of the Universe movie, if that ever happens, to direct this kind of what they're calling a Romancing the Stone-style action romantic comedy called The Lost City of D. I can only guess what the D stands for. I don't know, <laughs> so I'm not going to speculate. I will say this, though. Um, if for any of you guys who have saw The Proposal, it is seriously one of the more delightful films you'll ever see. Not, no small part due, of course, to Betty White and the entire supporting cast. It's, it's a wonderful movie. It's really fun and funny. And the dynamic and the chemistry between Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds is absolutely fantastic in it. Uh, Rob, it's just it's just terrific, and so the concept of seeing that chemistry being able to be played out again on screen in another comedic setting, I'm all for. I'm completely all for it. Now it should be noted that the report does explicitly say no deals have been closed, and that they are a little bit concerned with Ryan Reynolds' schedule. So there is a possibility this doesn't come to pass. But as of right now, Paramount Pictures is looking at doing this. I love the idea. Rob, I don't know if you ever saw the proposal, but whether you have or have not, how does this idea sound to you in general? Well, uh, you know what? First of all, I've always liked Sandra Bullock. I mean, ever since I think the first time I noticed her was in Demolition Man. And of course, you know, Speed. <laughs> I, I've, I've always loved Sandra Bullock. And I, I mean, both of those, both of those performers. I mean, I love Ryan Reynolds too. They're just so appealing to me. So to see them both once again reteamed, I like the the proposal, the proposal. Um, and I, I would like to see them on screen together. And you know, I've missed like big budget romancing the stone esque kind of romp rom com action adventure. I miss that. I was really looking forward to seeing Dwayne Johnson in the Jungle Book. <laughs> to me, the <laughs> Jungle I mean, Cruise. I jungle the Cruise? Jungle Cruise, right? Pardon me, the Jungle Cruise. I mean, that movie. I'm like, I want. I I don't know why, but I just I want to see that. You know, or you know, I like Mr. and Mrs. Smith with with Brad Pitt, and I I miss that. I I bring it on, man. I want to see that movie. I'm the I'm with you. The Lost that City is of dropping the D. <laughs> the, or lost sitting of demolition man whatever but right. it, it is it you're right though that style that action romantic comedy is mm -hmm. not one we've gotten a ton of uh even pre-covid like it's not one that we've gotten a lot of and, and you've mentioned a couple of really great ones including mr and mrs smith I'd you know like it's another, those. Good, another good one is is john mctiernan's remake of the thomas crown affair oh with, i uh, love the with, thomas crown affair yeah, pierce brosnan and renee russo it's so good I, I, it's so good. I I'd like to see more of that. 
I completely agree. The question is for you guys. What do you think about this? I think this sounds like a lot of fun, to be honest with you. I, again, in the proposal, I thought these two had just fantastic chemistry together. Uh, does that mean it'll automatically translate over into a new project? Maybe yes, maybe no. But I like the sounds of it. Question for you guys is, what do you think of it? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down and out of the way, let's now move into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here in the John Campia Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them by going anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Jane, who writes, Hi, John and crew. I'm seeing several reactions to Soul dropping online, and it's pretty much all positive. That excites me. But now I'm wondering, why is Disney waiting until Christmas to drop this and not Thanksgiving instead? Seems very early for all these reactions your thoughts. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yes, now, of course, Soul has been in the news a lot lately. You know, it was bumped a couple of times. We started wondering whether or not it was going to keep that uh, November release date. I, I didn't think it would, especially after Regal shut down. And sure enough, Regal shutting down, I thought that was the last catalyst for that. They have now moved it to Christmas and they've moved it to Disney+. Plus. Now, Rob, if you remember when you and I were talking about this, you and I both said this one, this one, unlike say Artemis Fowl, right? Right. When Artemis Fowl moved, we strongly suspected a part of that was probably they didn't have a lot of confidence in the film at all. Like we knew it wasn't going to be a billion dollar film, but we also didn't feel like it was going to be all that good. It had the potential. I thought the trailers looked good personally, but we suspected maybe Disney didn't believe in the movie. And sure enough, it comes out and nobody really liked the film. Fine. This is different. Like when they moved this, you know, I th I did not think it had anything to do with the quality of it. This looks like it could be another Pixar special kind of movie. But it also didn't look like it was one of those easily commercialized movies. It wasn't going to be one of those movies that was going to be easy to sell. A movie about death and the afterlife and stuff like that may not be the thing that tons of parents rush out and bring their kids to, blah, blah, blah. Not to mention the overcrowding of schedules, all that kind of stuff. We thought them moving soul was not a surprise, not a big surprise to Disney plus. Well, now we do have the reviews coming in and they're spectacular. The, the reviews on it have been absolutely spectacular, which I'm really not surprised of now, right now it should be noted that while it is holding a hundred percent of Rotten tomatoes, it should be noted that as of this moment, it's only counting 12, only 12 of the reviews have gotten in. However, what you also have to note is who those reviews are coming from. They're coming from The Wrap. They're coming from IndieWire. They're coming from The Hollywood Reporter. They're coming from Awards Watch. They're coming from Digital Spy. Uh, they're coming from uh, Empire Magazine. And they're coming from some pretty big, legit outlets and giving their thoughts. And it's been pretty spectacular. They're all saying pretty incredible things. Um, we get from the IndieWire, for example, Kaleem from IndieWire writes, like some of the best jazz compositions, it uses a traditional framework to veer off in many unexpected directions uh, so that even the inevitable endpoint feels just right. And actually, that's one of the things that all the reviewers have been kind of agreeing on is saying that this movie goes in a lot of different directions. It takes a lot of unexpected twists and turns. I have not seen it myself. 
although I am excited to see it. it. Takes a lot of unexpected twists and turns, and everybody's saying it's just fantastic. They're all saying the ending is great and fantastic. I don't expect it to hold the 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes by the time we get 300 reviews in. That's highly unlikely, but still, it's good to see. So why release this at Christmas time and not just say at Thanksgiving? Well, I think there's a couple of answers to that. First of all, one of the things we've been saying during this whole COVID period is that there's no playbook, right? There's no precedent that studios can look at and say what has worked in this type of situation in the past and what hasn't because there's never really been a situation like this in the past, at least not in recent history with our modern context. hasn't happened before, so they're figuring it out. I think they learned that the last second switch to the online platform may not have worked out as well as maybe people thought or hoped it would. <laughs> yeah. Let's just say that, that 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 move hasn't worked out. So I think there's two particular reasons here, Rob, and let me know what you think of this. I think there's two reasons why they moved this to December and not just a Thanksgiving release. Reason number one is Christmas is a great time to release a film, right? Everybody's on holidays. Everybody's home. It's a big holiday. It's a family time, all that kind of stuff. They were going to struggle, I think, getting a ton of families. Maybe it's if it's available at home. That's another move. But number two, I think, is this. They did not want to do the last second switch. They have been, Rob, right up until last week on the NBA Finals, which is on ABC. They've been promoting so Pixar Soul coming to theaters November 20th, just days ago doing that. I think they wanted a little bit of a cushion of time to reconfigure the ad campaign, reconfigure the marketing, and make sure everybody knows Hey guys, this is coming to Disney Plus. And oh yeah, sorry about that whole Mulan thing. We're just going to put it on Disney Plus and you guys can just watch it. We're not going to charge you extra 30 bucks. Is are we good now? Are we good? Are we square on that whole Mulan catastrophe that we did? Anyway, that's kind of feels like what this is a little bit. But yeah, I think they Christmas is a great time to release a film like this. Number 2, it gives them time to do a proper ramp up re you know, calibrate everybody to this is now a Disney plus film, get everybody excited about coming to Disney plus on Christmas. And it creates Rob. I got to say, not a bad little one, two punch that they did not have when Mandalorian season one came out, Mandalorian season one came out and then it was crickets. Now we got Mandalorian season one come out heading into Christmas. Now, boom, we've got, uh, we've got uh, soul for you, this highly reviewed film that everybody loves. And if they're not coming out till Christmas, why release the reviews now? I think they had already set when the review embargo was lifting. And I just don't think they wanted to screw around with all the journalists who had already prepped and done all the work to make sure they had their pieces ready to go on the review embargo lift date. So, uh, so that's why I think that happened. Anyway, Rob, that's my interpretation of the scenario. What do you think about this? Was it a good move to move to Christmas? Was it a good move? Like, why not release it earlier? How do you see it? Well, uh, apparently, I mean, I've read some of the feedback on the film and it's outstanding. I think it to me, it sounds more like a Christmas film in terms of what it's about, the subject matter. And I think that in a way, it's Disney literally giving a Christmas present. I know they want to bolster their subscribers and I, I get all that. But look, uh, again, I don't think I don't see how they can make the economics work on a Pixar movie to make it. I think they're they're again they're chalking this up to uh, 2020 was just a big loss for everybody, and I I think what a great way to end the year for the Disney company by providing 
uh, bolstering, first of all, their subscription base. You're getting a brand new Pixar movie, a big, you know, it's not like Onward, which is, you know, this is a big, I mean, this is a big, t- it's, as, it's as, as tentpole as it comes. I mean, Pixar, an A-list Pixar movie, that's a big deal. It's a big deal. And I think giving subscribers and, and new subscribers a Christmas present like this, it's pretty spectacular. And I think it works. I think it's a shrewd business decision. And for the audience, people that have Disney Plus like I do, it's a big win. You know, we're talking about, okay, we got Hamilton this year. What's another A-list something that they're going to drop making Disney Plus worth having? Well, this is certainly something that that uh, is an argument in that direction. If they're going to put movies like this on Disney Plus, it's good for the whole family. You've got a family. I mean, come on. I think it's a great move. Rob, I said it only half facetiously. Do you think a part of this is also kind of Disney kind of saying, yeah, we we messed up with the Mulan thing and this is kind of our makeup call? Do you, do you, do you think there's a, a part of this, especially just going purely straight to Disney Plus, no additional fees? Is this a little bit of them kind of offering an olive branch to their subscribers and saying, sorry about that for Mulan? I don't know. What do you think? I think that there's a little bit of that, yeah. I, I absolutely. I mean, I think this is telling subscribe. Look, it didn't work. And we've said on this show before, and I've said it on my own show that we we are not conditioned yet. I mean, people will pay for a Pacquiao fight and they'll pay 90 bucks, but we're not conditioned to pay 30 bucks for a movie in addition to the streaming service we're already paying for. People don't understand that. They don't. I don't know if they'll ever understand that. I mean, unless movie theaters go away entirely. People are still thinking, okay, it's COVID. In a way, it kind of seemed opportunistic for Disney to drop something at that price point on their platform that you're already subscribing for. There's two. So I think there is an element of that, John. I don't think you're wrong. By the way, uh, just just kind of a side note. Did you see Chris Rock's comments on the movie theater experience that, that he put out a couple of days ago about why he thinks the movie going experience number one needs to stay around by why he also thinks it will always stay around. Did you see what he said about that? Yes. And I loved it. Okay. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, Chris Rock articulated something far better. No surprise um, th- than I have in a long time. One of the Chris Rock, and this is how it kind of relates to, to this going straight to streaming thing. Chris Rock came out and said it beautifully. He says, look, you have to understand like the social dynamic of what it means to have the movie going. We need it in our society because going out for an evening, it is not only like the most popular thing to do, it is the most economical thing to do. You know, Chris Rock said, going out for a date or going out with buddies, going to the movies is way cheaper than going to the bar. It's cheaper than trying to go to a concert. It's cheaper than trying to go to a sporting event. It's just, it's much, much less expensive. It is a one of the core foundations of our social outing experiences. I just thought that was really interesting. It reminded me of that when you were saying about uh, the experience there. By the way, you know, I, I love Chris Rock, and it seems like any video I watch on YouTube, and I watch a lot of YouTube videos, it starts with the uh, the witches trailer with his voiceover. Oh, yeah, I love the the opening of that trailer with young. I guess you know, I think of it as young Chris Rock and Octavia Spencer. I just I love it. I, I think they should make a whole movie of just the story of young Chris Rock and Octavia Spencer without witches. <laughs> like I like some coming of age story. I would watch that forever. I'm, I'm looking it. forward to it. All right, guys. I can't wait. Question is for you. 
What do you think about the, this whole situation here? Was it a good idea to move it to Christmas time instead of just releasing it digitally on its original release date? Why was that a good date? How do you feel about it? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Sam Sprill. And Sam writes... Finally, the Green Lantern series got a green light from HBO Max and the roster of characters to be featured in the series, but not Jon Stewart, Kyle Rayner, or Hal Jordan. They're all absent. Do you think Warner Brothers is saving them for the big screen? Your thoughts. All right. Thanks for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, if you guys will remember on Friday when we were doing the John Campia show, we had the breaking news. It, it came out as we were doing the show that HBO Max had finally given the green light to something they had been talking about for a number of months, which was a Green Lantern series. Now, that wasn't surprising. The surprising part was, and Rob and I discussed this briefly, was the fact that amongst the list of names of here's all the Green Lanterns that are going to be appearing, including Guy Gardner and what have you, it wasn't who I consider to be the true quintessential uh, Green Lantern, Hal Jordan. It wasn't another Green Lantern that a lot of people consider to be the Green Lantern because he's the one they grew up with in Jon Stewart. And as a side note, Kyle Rayner, who's nowhere near as important as, say, a Hal Jordan or a Jon Stewart, but Kyle Rayner was another name that was missing. Anyway, this came to us from the folks over at Variety who writes, Based on the DC Comics property, the show was first announced as being in development last year. Plot details are now available for the first time, however. The show will depict the adventures of a multitude of lanterns, including Guy Gardner, Jessica Cruz, Simon Baz, and Alan Scott, Earth's first Green Lantern, who, true to the comics, is also gay, and many more. The series will also include uh, will also include fan favorites such as Sinestro and Kilowog, and will also introduce new heroes to the ranks of the Green Lantern Corps. So this was all good, but like our person asking the question, the thing that we kind of fixated on was, how do you do this and not do it with Hal Jordan or Jon Stewart, depending on where you are on that area? How do you do that? And Sam, I think the answer to that is exactly what you said. I think this is clearly a situation that they have other plans, Rob, for, for Hal Jordan. Maybe not for Kyle Rayner, but definitely for Hal Jordan, Jeff, definitely for Jon Stewart. Because, Rob, you don't do... It's like doing a Justice League TV show and not having Batman, Superman, or Wonder Woman in it. I mean, the, the the only explanation for that is if you say, have other plans. There's other things you're going to do with these characters, and you want them unique to whatever medium you're doing. Because So you don't want to devalue the Hal Jordan character by having him in the HBO Max series and then trying to transfer that into a big screen appearance. So my guess right now is probably like a lot of people is that they do have on-screen plans. We've heard some whispers about it before for Hal Jordan and for John Stewart, maybe even Kyle Rayner, who knows, but that to me is the most logical explanation for this. And one that I expect we'll probably hear an announcement of in the upcoming months. Rob, you were here with me when we first heard news about this and the obvious names that are missing. Is it possible they just don't want to use those names right now. Or do you think, no, they've already got other plans for them? How do you think this is going to be approached? Well, I think they do have other plans for them. And I think that also, you know, they have already made a Green Lantern movie. So there might be, <laughs> I don't know for sure, but there might be 
previous previously existing rights issues with mm. the green with the Green Lantern character because of the previous film. Um, but I think or a combination of the two. But but I absolutely think I mean, look, whatever you think, Hal Jordan is Green Lantern. Everyone else is derivative. I mean, Alan Scott, I guess you could say is, too. But but the Hal Jordan Green Lantern is obviously a cornerstone of the Justice League. Uh, when Jeff Johns was writing Green Lantern, uh, his entire run was incredibly important to the DC Comics line, and um, I, I think it's—I yeah, think that they have definite plans. And if you have plans for Hal Jordan, you got to have plans for John Stewart. I mean, I think the two of them, and perhaps Guy Gardner as well, all go kind of hand in hand, really. Especially if you were going to do. You know, a, a Hal Jordan, a standalone movie, or if you're going to, I mean, maybe, who knows, maybe Hal Jordan's going to show up in the uh, Snyder Cut. You never know. I don't know. But I, I think they have plans. All right, guys, question is for you. What do you think is going on here? Why do a Green Lantern show and not have the most definitive, well-known and popular, arguably, Green Lanterns there are out there? It seems obvious that they must have theatrical film plans for them. Maybe yes, maybe no. What are you guys thinking about this? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts on that. But also, are you interested? And this is probably a question I should have made a question of the day, Rob. Are you guys interested in a Green Lantern show without Hal Jordan and without Jon Stewart? Does that still interest you? It still interests me, but maybe not for you guys. Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Stubble McShave. And Stubble McShave writes, Hi, John. I read in several outlets that Paramount will make Cleopatra ep a Cleopatra ep epic and it will reteam Patty Jenkins with Gal Gadot playing the title role. Do you think Gadot uh, will, have, uh, will have improved enough as an actor to portray Cleopatra? How big of a budget do you think this epic will have and how much do you think will be done on location compared to the Elizabeth Taylor version? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And uh, yeah, one of the big pieces of news to drop the other day was that Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot, who is who is uh, obviously starred in Patty Jenkins's Wonder Woman movies, are going to be teaming up again for Paramount and Cleopatra. This is what comes to us from the folks over at Deadline who write, Paramount Pictures has won an auction for the epic that will have Gal Gadot wearing the crown of a re of the real Wonder Woman of history. Wonder Woman Helmer, Patty Jenkins will direct Gadot in Cleopatra, uh, a period biographical drama scripted by, I always mispronounce her name, Leda Caligor <laughs> Cal Caligoris, Caligritus, I should be able to say that. Uh, this is the first major project package won by Paramount Motion Pictures uni uh, Group President Emma Watts in an auction that became that came down to Universal, Warner Brothers, Netflix, and Apple, I have heard. So here's what happened with this. It's actually Gal and Patty worked with uh, Leda, the, the writer, and they came up with this idea for this movie. They wanted to do this movie, and they packaged it that Gal would star in it. Patty would direct it. It's going to be written by Leda. And then they went around to the studios and pitched this thing. Paramount ended up with the win on it. Now, it should be noted, Rob, there's another Cleopatra movie that's floating around out there in development right now. 
uh, that I think Scott Rudin has been behind and trying to get going with Denis Villeneuve directing. And it was mm. even being said for a while that uh, Angelina Jolie or Lady Gaga were in the running to actually play the lead card. And that is still a movie that is still, they're saying Denis Villeneuve was going to turn his attention to start developing that once he was done with Dune. And he's still a ways off from Dune. So there's several Cleopatra projects out there in the making. I have a couple of different ways of looking at this, to be honest with you. Look, let's get the elephant in the room out of the way first. Everybody knows that I don't think Gal Gadot is that great of an actress. Every, that's no big surprise. However, that being said, I also believe we've seen improvement in her over the last couple of years. Uh, I, I've always thought that maybe she could get better and improving it better. Look, I've always compared Gal to Channing Tatum for me. Channing Tatum was for a long time for me the absolute number one worst actor in Hollywood getting work, but he kept working and kept working and kept working and kept training and kept training and he got better and better and better. And now we're to the point that I actually get excited about a Channing Tatum movie. And I've always said there's no reason Gal Gadot can't be that same thing. And I think especially in working with a director like Patty Jenkins, I think we've seen her improve. I, I really do. Do is she a, an actress that I believe is at the point right now that I would give a major film that actually will require? Because in Wonder Woman, she had Chris Pine there to do most of the heavy acting lifting, and you had a director like Patty Jenkins who, like James Gunn, in working with Dave Batista, James Gunn knew how to accentuate accentuate Dave Batista's strengths and not expose his weaknesses as an actor, and the result was. We got a great Drax the Destroyer from Dave. And we've seen Dave Bautista get better as an actor, as a matter of fact, over the years, right? He's been getting better and better and better. Still can't carry a movie on his own. My Spy is a great example of that. Oh, my God. I don't know if you've seen My Spy. That movie's awful. Dave's not ready to lead a film yet. That, that's <laughs> a side note. Uh, but in working with a, with a director like Patty Jenkins, I would still not personally cast Gal in a big major lead like a Cleopatra yet, personally. But... I don't have as many reservations today as I did a few years ago. And if it's Patty Jenkins working with her and Patty Jenkins has already shown very clearly, she knows how to utilize Gal Gadot, accentuate the strengths, hide the weaknesses, and working with her is only going to make her even better. So I honestly, surprisingly, while I do not believe she can elevate the material, like a Jessica Chastain could probably come in there and elevate the material. Like a Lupita Nyong'o could probably come in there and elevate the material. Like a Rachel McAdams could probably come in there and elevate the material. Like a Charlize Theron could probably step in there and elevate the material. But unlike before, whereas I probably – like four years ago, if you told me she was going to lead a Cleopatra movie, I would have had some major reservations. I, we're to the point that I don't know that I have major reservations. I think I'm okay with it, especially if she's in the hands of Patty Jenkins. So to me, that's interesting. I think this is a great idea for a movie as well. I think this is a terrific idea. Look, Cleopatra is the classic Hollywood epic. And I think we need some of those right now. I really do. I think we've been sorely missing. I know they tried to do a Ben-Hur remake a couple of years ago. That didn't turn out so well. Oh, no, it didn't. I I concede that. That one didn't work out so well. But in the hands of a director like Patty Jenkins, I think it could be something special. Now, if there's anything to be a little bit worried about here, Rob, it's going to be Leda Calogridis. 
It's going to be Leda Calagritis because she has written Alexander, not a great script. She wrote Terminator Genesis, as uh, Schnepp used to say, Terminator Genesis. <laughs> not he did say that. <laughs> not a great script. Um, he did. Uh, she did write Alita: Battle Angel, a movie that I enjoyed. But I think even amongst most of us who really who quite enjoyed the movie, we'll all say script was probably a weak point in the film. Script was probably a weak point of the film. Now, that being said, she also wrote the script for Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese's uh, Shutter Island. That's not just a good movie. That's a good script. That's a good script. So I want to give a little bit of balance here. A little bit concerned because this is the same writer who did Terminator and Alexander and wrote the script for Alita. But she also did knock one out of the park with Shutter Island. So let's keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. So that's an interesting turn of events here. An interesting question that we're going to have here too, Rob, is are we going to see that one that Denis Villeneuve was talking about doing? Are we Look, we've seen studios in the past, Rob, come out with identical movies. We saw uh, Angel Has Fallen and White House Down come out. of It's Angel Has Fallen. That was the name of the other White House one, right? Yeah, yeah. Speaking of Channing Tatum. One was pretty good. One was totally awful. We have, no, we it was, it was Oly- Olympus Has Fallen and White House Down. And White, well, Sorry, thank you. Olympus Has Fallen and White House Down. Thank you. Olympus Has Fallen was fantastic. White House Down, not so much. Um, we we <laughs> lived in a world where we had Dante's Peak and Volcano come out at the same time. I mean, we've, we've, we've had – we live in a world where Armageddon and – And Deep Impact, dude. And Deep come on. Impact with, with Deep Impact coming out. I mean, so, do, so yeah. let me ask you this, Rob. First of all, part one. What do you think about this news about these two joining forces to do a Cleopatra movie? And then following that up, do you think we will still see that other project that Sony and Rudin and them have been gestating and and really working on developing for far longer? Do you think they may scrap it now as a result of this? Or do you think they might even, you know, increase its priority on the queue to get this thing out there because of this? How do you think this is all going to shake out? Well, I think, the state of the world today, John, I don't know if uh, mounting a giant historical epic is what any <laughs> filmmaker wants to be doing. You know, I mean, hey, look at the Batman movie. It's yeah. trying to get that. I mean, I, I, I just I, I just can't see doing a giant historical epic. I mean, they might plan the movie, but until until we're out out of the covid woods, I, I just don't see big historical epics being a priority for anybody. Um, so there's that, but I mean, I think it's a good team, you know, Gal Gadot and, and Patty Jenkins obviously work really well together. I think coming off the heels of two very six, well, I would assume depending if Wonder Woman comes out or not, are, are two very successful collaborations that audiences are, are beloved by audiences. I mean, I just wonder, you know, as far as big historical epics go, do they belong in movie theaters? anymore or has their time passed i mean i keep thinking about they remade ben-hur you know and and it just seems like giant historical epics like this you know you put up the alexander i mean oliver stone recut that movie three times i have them all and i i i just wonder dude is it is is this the world that historical epics are going to be embraced by audiences you know i i think yes 
but I, I think the key is they've still got to be good movies. And and like the, yeah. the few examples that we have at our disposal right now, being that Ben-Hur one that they did, which was just not good, <laughs> but being no. that Ben-Hur one and the Alexander one, which was just not the train wreck. Some I don't think it's the absolute train wreck that some people make it out to be, yet still <clears throat> not good. I think right. a true, broad, sweeping, epic style Hollywood film, I, I think would be that was that was wonderfully made. I think would be really wildly and enthusiastically embraced. Is this the one to do it? I don't know, but I think there's the I think there's possibilities here. I think there's possibilities. Yeah, I mean maybe, but even Gal Gadot, I I, I really liked her as Wonder Woman, but and I think she's a she's beautiful, but is she Cleopatra? Yeah, I don't. I know. mean. Cleopatra, Elizabeth Taylor playing Cleopatra made sense. And I, I only because Elizabeth Taylor had, as far as culture was go, uh, was concerned, she had gravitas and she was, you know, the world's most beautiful woman and, and a real Hollywood star. And Gal Gadot for all of her, I mean, I still see her as she's like your like the, 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 the girlfriend everybody wants. She's always got a big smile on her face and bouncing off the walls. And I love her personality and she's bubbly. And I don't think I've ever seen her in an interview where I didn't fall madly in love with her, but is she Cleopatra? Look, I, I, I am with you in the sense that like you saw her at DC fandom when she oh. was doing her panel, she like, she was in that panel with Hollywood veterans, including Chris Pine. And she was owning that panel. I mean, when it oh, comes yeah. to pure, just in her own, her strictly her own real personality and charisma and energy, Dude. I, as a producer, would love her promoting my film any day of the week. She's she's just got it. She's just got Amazing. that natural charm and charisma. Has she learned how to translate that natural charm and charisma she evidently and obviously has in her own real life personality into her persona on screen right now. No, she hasn't not yet. Is she Elizabeth Taylor? Is she the true movie star of this era? Like Elizabeth Taylor was that day. No, that's why when the rumors for years going around about Angelina Jolie playing Cleopatra, that made a lot of sense because Angelina Jolie is an apex level Hollywood's like, She's a star and with all the talent and gravitas, I don't like using that word, but I'll use it here. Angelina Jolie is a star with all the talent and gravitas that is implied in the true word. Is Gal Gadot at that point right now? Clearly not. No, she's not at that level, but I still think there's potential here because like I said, I have been one of the stronger Gal Gadot critics, not her personality, just as, as her ability to act. Yeah. Right. But like I said, like Channing Tatum, I have seen her get better and I'm curious to see wonder woman two. I have not loved the trailers. I don't think you have either for, for no. wonder woman two. I have not loved, but still let's wait till we see the movie itself. She's going to be, she's just worked with a director of the capabilities of a Kenneth Branagh. In the uh, upcoming uh, uh, Murder on the Nile, Murder is that on, what it is? Murder, yeah, Death on the uh, Nile. Death on the Nile. Death on the Nile. The sequel to Murder on the Orient Express. It'll be very interesting to see how she is there. She's again in the hands of a director who know who has shown in Wonder Woman that she knows how to accentuate what she's got, 
hide and not expose what she doesn't have. So I, 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 I don't think she will elevate Cleopatra, but I think Cleopatra can be just fine with an actress of the caliber of a Gal Gadot right now. And I'm very curious to see, has she continued to progress or has she started to regress? If she continues to progress, I think this movie could be fine, really. I think if it's a good script and it's a good story, I think she can manage it. That, that's what they say in, in NFL, Rob. You, you know this. When you've got a star quarterback, like they can take over a game. When you've just got a good, solid quarterback who's not a superstar, but they're good, solid quarterback, you just want them to manage the game. Get in there, manage the game. Take let Help this team take what the talent it has around you and move it forward. And I think Gal Gadot right now, there's a potential. She could be a good game manager. I think she's at that level. She can manage the movie in the starring role. She won't elevate it yet. She won't be that superstar power like Elizabeth Taylor was. Or what uh, Angelina Jolie or you know any of the other actresses that we talked about. But I think she can be the person in the lead role with Patty Jenkins and take this movie home. I, I, I think that potential is there. Will, will that happen? I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. I think we'll know a lot more, though, once we see Death on the Nile. Once we see Death on an Eye, I think we'll get a little bit of, of a better picture about where things are going to be right now. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this news? I actually love the idea of the big grand Hollywood epic coming back. I love the idea that Patty Jenkins, a little bit iffy on the screenwriter right now, but I, but they again, she did do Shutter Island. So let's keep that in mind. And I'm not as nervous about, about Gal Gadot as I have been previously because, as I've always hoped, we've seen her get a little bit better. Good enough to be Cleopatra? I don't know, but I'm willing to give her a shot. We'll see. Question is, guys, how do you feel about it? Jump down into the comment section below and leave us your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to our fourth and final main topic today. And our fourth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Martin Ashton. And Martin writes, greetings, John and gang. I am in the UK and was watching an interview with Ewan McGregor on the Graham Norton show where he confirmed that the Obi-Wan series will start filming in March of 2021. Uh, what do you think of this? And do you think they will keep this date? Thanks and keep up the great work. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, in the all of the drama that we've had surrounding Star Wars and all the drama we've had surra surrounding Lucasfilm and specifically the drama we've had surrounding something like the Obi-Wan series, which has had its own set of specific dramas, it sounds like we finally have something a little bit concrete. Ewan McGregor was being interviewed and he did come out and say, it's the Obi-Wan story, I suppose, McGregor said. It's not all about me, but it certainly will be a lot of me, which is good. We start shooting in March of next year. So it does sound like we're finally going to get some movement on the Obi-Wan series. Now, March next year, that's, I'm guessing that probably means a 2022 release date for the movie. I'm thinking probably at best we're looking at a 2022 release, but whatever. Do I think they can actually keep this date? Yes, I do, because this is very different, right? This is not a movie as I was kind of hoping it would be, but it's going to be a series. Therefore, they don't have to worry about release dates. But also, this is not a movie or, or a series that they have to worry about having a lot of locations. This is all going to be in whatever it is they call that room. 
whatever they call that room with the with the surrounding virtual environments that they did the Mandalorian in. There's going to be a lot of that. We already heard you stagecraft, McGregor, the stagecraft. We heard you McGregor talk about that previously, that he's so excited because he gets to use the stagecraft technology, right? That can be a sealed, isolated bubble of a set, much like the NBA had, right? That can be a sealed, a very easy to control situation. So I don't really see any reason why they wouldn't be able to meet their production date. And then when it comes to release date, again, because it's going straight to television, I don't see why any reason why I couldn't that why that would become a problem in the least. So I think they're all good there. The only question becomes, do they have their crap in order? Because remember, they say, oh, we've got everything done. We're all ready to start shooting this. Oh, we're announcing Obi-Wan. We've got our scripts and the wonderful. And then, yeah, now, yeah, no, now we don't like our scripts. And now we're not shooting when we said we we're going to shoot. As long as they've got their crap in order behind the scenes. Production shouldn't be an issue. Release date shouldn't be an issue. And I'm all for it because we need some good stuff here. Rob, you see that Ewan McGregor is now saying they're going to start shooting Obi-Wan in March. Number one, do you believe it? And number two, what do you think about the news? Well, first of all, I think an Obi-Wan series starring Ewan McGregor is the greatest thing in the world. I think that uh, they should have made an Obi-Wan movie instead of the Solo film. And I like Solo. Uh, I, I, because look, Obi-Wan is a legitimate, uh, Ewan McGregor was cast by Lucas himself other than Alec Guinness, obviously is a younger Obi-Wan. I don't think there's anybody that gives more credibility to, uh, to lead a star Wars show. I think people love him as Obi-Wan and I think it's a great idea. Uh, I think they've got, you know, Deborah Cho is, is directing, uh, Deborah Chow is directing this series. And she was her work on The Mandalorian was incredible. And like you pointed out, using the stagecraft technology they have, kind of like how they've been doing other productions, they can sequester people away and then kind of make this show in a bubble. So there's not a lot of contact with the outside world. And they don't have to necessarily go on location. They don't have to be at a big studio like Pinewood anymore uh, to get away with doing the show like this. And I think that I believe that they can pull this off, especially starting in March. I mean, that is still five months away, five and a half months away. That's a, a, a long time to get, even if COVID is still here. I mean, obviously cases are going up. It's not going anywhere anytime soon, but they can, they can do things smart. Production can resume. I mean, they're doing productions other places in the world, and I, I think it can happen. And not like that, man. I'm excited. I mean, I'm, I got to tell you, John, I'm stoked. To see, I don't know why. I mean, I'm stoked. You know, I just recently got the uh, the Obi Wan Revenge of the Sith hot toy figure, and I'm I'm glad I have it. It made me a better man. And I just I <laughs> love that figure, and I want to see him come and kick ass. I mean, after Order Order sixty six and the Jedi are decimated, Obi Wan's a man without a country now. You know what kind of shenanigans does he get up to in a galaxy that's falling apart? I can't wait for this. To be honest. Yeah, it's one of those projects that to me for a long time, I was not really interested because, again, it's do we need to keep covering ground of characters we already know? Do we need to keep doing all this? But the more and more, as more time passed and more and more, I heard more and more of the audience and the fans and some friends of mine talking about it. I got one over. I'm like, oh, you know what? Yeah, there's probably some very, very cool things you could do here with Obi-Wan. And then it kind of culminated that when you – I was at D23 when you McGregor came on the stage and he was like with Kathleen Kennedy. He says, Kathleen – Ask me if I'm going to be Obi-Wan again. <laughs> she goes, you are you going to be Obi-Wan again? And he just looked at the audience. 
Yes. I, I got to admit, I got excited. I got excited. So here it you is, know, the question. Oh, go ahead, Rob. There's a clip of him on the Graham Norton show. And he they, they give him – Graham Norton pulls out these lightsabers. And, you know, he hadn't – how long has it been since Revenge of the Sith? It, was, it had probably been at least 10 years. And he just starts wielding – as soon as he gets the lightsaber in his hand, he starts wielding it like, well, Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's lost none of his ability. And I, every time I, I – to be honest, I sometimes go back and just watch that clip because it reminds me of just the sheer joy that – you know, it doesn't matter how old you are. You give somebody a lightsaber, anybody, <laughs> they become a Jedi Knight. And he did. And he he lost. I mean, watching him just, he can spin it around to do the one-handed thing. I mean, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it would be it would be good to see him back again. Questions for you guys. What do you think about us? Do you think it's actually going to make that, that shoot date? And then do you have some speculation when they might actually air it? Who knows? We're a long ways away from that, though, admittedly. Jump down to the comment section below and let us know what you think. All right, guys, with all of that down and out of the way, it's now time for us to move over and start taking your live comments and questions. Once again, you can send in a live comment or question 24 seven, actually over to streamelements.com slash movie blog TV slash tip. Once again, you'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's reasonable. And of course, You'll be supporting the show at the same time. And all of us here, thank you guys for that. All right, let's get into it here. And let's jump over to number one. We've got here, art teacher movie fan who writes, Hello, John and Rob. Loved uh, your documentary clip. Thank you so much for that, by the way. Uh, did you think Wonder Woman, or do you think Wonder Woman will move its release date now that Soul is coming out on Christmas uh, to maybe Thanksgiving? Do you ma uh, If you made your own superhero movie, what would the power set of the hero be well we'll only take one question at a time here and and let's talk about this do i think that soul moving to christmas will have an impact on whether or not wonder woman keeps that release date no not in the least mainly because as i've said for a while i don't believe wonder woman is coming out on christmas day i believe they will move it again not just streaming I mean, Patty Jenkins has been very explicit. This thing ain't going to streaming. This is going to be a theatrical movie, and they'll wait as long as they need to to do it. But, uh, yeah, I, I have not believed for some time, especially once they announced that Regal was closing their doors. I don't believe that Wonder Woman um, 84 is going to be coming out on Christmas Day. I certainly hope it does, but I just don't think that's going to happen. Even if that wasn't the issue, and let's say Wonder Woman is going to come out on December 25th, it still doesn't make any difference. That, Rob, you and I have talked for a while about that Christmas is a very big pond. And the bigger the pond, the more fish you can have in it, and everybody can still do well. There's a lot of business to be had over Christmas time. Um, so I don't think it would change anything, not to mention it's going to be on Disney Plus 24-7, 365 days a year. You don't have to watch it that same moment that it drops. So families, if they want to go see Wonder Woman, they can go see Wonder Woman and they can come back and watch, you know, uh, they can come back and watch Soul tomorrow. Either way, whichever way you cut it, I really don't think Wonder Woman staying or moving is going to have anything to do with Soul at all. What do you think? Not at all. You know, I, I, I like you said, I, I don't think one thing has anything to do with the other. As we know, what was it last Christmas? That was the murderer's row of movies or was that the yep. Christmas before? Um, the Christmas it, before. Yeah, it's it's Christmas. The Christmas season, as Hans Gruber said, it's a time for miracles. You know, you put out all kinds of movies then. It's, it's when people are going to the movies. It's one of the biggest movie going seasons. 
ever other than the summer. And I think absolutely there's enough room for everyone. Soul and Wonder Woman, whatever they do, have nothing to do with each other. Nothing at all. Absolutely agree. Okay, let's move on here. Next up, we have uh, Damo Davies who writes, Greetings from the UK. Do you believe um, uh, the Hillary Swank's Oscar-winning movie, the 1990s Boys Don't Cry, would have received the same backlash as Scarlett Johansson recently aborted a trans-themed movie would have received if it was made today? Eh, I, I don't see why it wouldn't have. Uh, probably given today, again, I think it is much ado about nothing. Uh, I know that rubs some people the wrong way that that's my opinion. I don't give a shit if my opinion rubs some people the wrong way, but well, I believe that, you know, my position on this. Well, I believe that a lot more opportunities do need to be created for a lot of people who have been excluded from this business for a long time. I still fundamentally believe that actors, an actor's job is to play somebody that they are not. That's ultimately what an actor's job is, to be somebody they are not. So I think two things. Yes, I think it would probably have gotten the same uh, pushback today. And just like I don't think it should have gotten pushback, I don't th just as I don't think that um, Scarlett Johansson's portrayal should have gotten pushback, I don't think this one should get pushback either if it moved, but I do think it would have. So there's that. Uh, Damo Davies also writes, uh, how would you find Will Smith outside in the snow? Follow the Fresh Prince. <laughs> get it okay i'll give you the drum shot there we go damo davis also writes i know you're not really a fan of the nightmare on elm street movies outside of the original classic i'm actually not to be honest with you uh but would you lump west craven's meta horror new nightmare along with the traditional sequels as it stretches the concept of a sequel in radical ways I i'll be honest with you i'm also not a huge fan of uh, new nightmare um and look it's it's strange. A lot of the 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 cult classics, Rob. For instance, I don't like the original Halloween. I don't I don't think it's all that good. I don't think it holds up. I'm I'm what? very much in the minority on that. I understand what? I'm in the minority on that. I do love the original Nightmare on Elm Street, but I'm not a fan of most of the sequels. I, I'm just not into it that much. Mm. Rob, when he asked, would you lump like how do you feel about the Nightmare sequels, and how would you lump Wes Craven's new Nightmare along with the uh, <clears throat> along with the stuff? Where do you well as as, as far as, you know, we just did a, a show on Nightmare on Elm Street. As far as the sequels go of all the slasher movies, I find the Nightmare franchise the best of all of them, whether it's you're talking about Friday the 13th or, say, Texas Chainsaw or whatever, because uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night, uh, the, 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 the movies are so imaginative. The fantasy sequences are really imaginative. They're a lot of fun to watch. And so especially like some of the sequels, Dream Warriors, the third film, and I actually like the third, fourth, and fifth films. So the third film in particular is quite good. New Nightmare, I think, is a lot – the idea of it is much better than the execution. Like I remember hearing the idea. I'm like, ooh, this sounds great, but it doesn't do enough. If Charlie Kaufman had written the script for New Nightmare, it probably would have been amazing. I think it's an interesting idea that doesn't quite live up to its promise, but – you know, it's interesting. And for the series to have gone that direction was pretty ballsy. And I've got to give it up for Wes Craven. I just don't think that he was – I think it was a little out of his wheelhouse. But as far as the franchise goes, it shows that that franchise has a lot more going on in it than any other long-running horror franchise. And I'll give it up for that. All right. Let's keep going here. Next up comes to us from Ahmed Z who writes and Ahmed tipped in $20. Thank you, Ahmed, for supporting the channel on that level, man. Uh, hey, John, big fan. Thank you. I heard that the pandemic could take two years to fizzle out. 
in that case, uh, will all our favorite Marvel DC movies slash shows be pushed back to mid 2022 or force studios to release on Disney plus slash HBO max sooner, uh, reevaluate budgets for the future. Well, th that's a, a grand scale meta question that we've kind of been addressing for months to me. It's, it's again, I've said this a hundred times, but I'll, I'll say it again here. To me, it is not an issue of us sitting around on our thumbs waiting for the pandemic to disappear. It is about learning to, to manage the pandemic. It's about learning to how do we function within it. A great example of that to me has been the NBA. And you know, we started off today's show talking about the championships. It is remarkable, but it shows off what can be done. What did the NBA do? They didn't cancel the season. They decided we can still do the season, but we have to manage how we do it. They conducted an entire the, the all rest of the season plus the entire playoffs, all that kind of stuff. You know how many cases of COVID they had, Rob? None. Not one. Because it was a man, as it was a matter of learning how to how do we function within it, and how do we do it properly. The problem, of course, becomes that in order to do that, you need everybody working together um, to work towards those ends. You know, I, I've gone to the movie theater a couple of times, and both times that I went, it was a great experience. Sanitizers, masks required. You know, disinfecting everything. Blah blah. It was all great as long as everybody works together. I believe it doesn't matter if it takes two years for the pandemic to fizzle out or five years. And by the way, if everybody works together, it'll fizzle out a lot, a lot quicker. The problem becomes that we have too many stupid people that live in our cultures that don't want to work together. They don't want to do what's good and what's best for everybody else. They have no desire about what the greater good is. They just care that, I don't know, I, I could say something, but I don't want to. But there's just too many stupid people. That's the bottom line. You know, you don't have to go outside in a hazmat suit. I went for a jog this morning, Rob, and I didn't wear a hazmat suit, but I avoided places where there were going to be people. I made sure I stayed like a hundred feet away from everybody. I went out when it was, you know, it's just, I still manage. I still go to the grocery store. I so, but I do things in such a way. And what a lot of people do is in such a way that we do it smart. Uh, so no, I, I don't think things need to be pushed all the way back to 2021. I don't think the industry will wait until 2021. Simply, simply put, movie theaters and the studios and everything, they can't wait that long. It's just a matter of people learning how to manage it while it's still there until it's gone. And once we're able to do that, and once we're able, once we get around to being smart about it, then everything will go a lot smoother. Anyway, that's just my thoughts on that. All right, James L. H. writes, hey, John, follow me with this. So I like films about Hollywood. I do too, actually. I'm a, I'm a sucker for uh, films about Hollywood. I'm a fan of Orson Welles and I'm a fan of Citizen Kane. So I'm really fascinated after seeing the trailer to David uh, Fincher's Mank about uh, Kane's co-screenwriter, the great Gary, uh, played by the great Gary Oldman. Yeah, Rob, I don't know if you saw the uh, trailer to Mank. I, I'll, oh I'll my tell you God. What. I'm, this is an example of a movie I'm really excited about. I thought it was a terrible trailer. I thought it was an absolutely horrible trailer um, because I know that movie's going to be awesome and I, you don't have to sell me on it. That's fine because I'm already on board with all the people involved and what the subject matter is and I'm on board, but I will tell you what that movie did shit all to, uh, to, I think to an average film fan who isn't already predisposed uh, um, invested in this stuff like I am and like you are, I thought it was a dull um, directionless uh, as a piece of marketing, Rob, not as a piece of art, as a piece of marketing, which is what a trailer is. I thought it was terribly done. 
terribly done for what I expect is going to be a fabulous movie. I don't know. What what did you think about it? Well, I mean, to me, seeing anything that David Fincher has done was like a gift. And I am particularly interested in the subject matter. So I was already biased. But uh, look, I agree with you in this day and age. The subject matter, I don't think, was sold in the trailer as well as it should have been. But that said, I mean, I'm like, I just couldn't get over the fact how great it looked. I mean, when I say looked, I mean the actual look of the film, the acting, the, the mise-en-scene, all of it. I'm just like, I cannot. You know what? It went to, with everything else gone, you know, Dune gone, No Time to Die gone, it is now my single most eagerly awaited piece of media to see for the rest of the year. Mm, yeah. So I cannot wait to see this movie. Cannot wait. Yeah, it ranks up there for me, too. All right, next up, uh, William writes, Hey, John, Hal Jordan and John Stewart uh, were not mentioned for the HBO Max series. Do you think there could be bigger plans for them in the film aside, uh, on the film side of DC? Uh, if so, what would you like to see... Uh, uh, what would you like to see from a film starring those two characters? Uh, just a good movie. I mean, what do you want to see? I want to see a good movie. That, that's all there is. But yeah, as as we kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, William, absolutely. Like, again, doing a Green Lantern core thing without Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart, again, it's like doing a Justice League movie without Batman and Superman. I mean, the, the only possible explanation is that there are other plans for those characters. I, I, like, I just can't believe that they would be so stupid over there to go, Oh, uh, yeah, we're going to do Green Lantern. Let's do this person and this person and this person. And somebody says, well, what about uh, Hal Jordan or John Stewart? Nah, we don't need them. It's already full. We already got plenty of characters. They couldn't be that dumb. So, yeah, I completely think you're right on the money with that, William. 100% on the money with that. I, I, I really do think it's because they have grander plans for those characters that may or may not even tie in at a later date. But for now, I just think they have uh, different priorities for those specific characters. We'll find out soon enough. Good question, man. All right, Logan James Kyniston writes, Hey, John, I think the term plot hole gets thrown around way too quickly. I agree. Most people most people use the term plot hole or there's a number of terms that when people use, I just want to go, I want to pull a, um, a uh, Princess Bride and say, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. I, and, and plot hole is definitely one of them. Uh, to throw around way too quickly and way too often. How do you define it? Personally, I see it as a point in which a story breaks its own previously established rules about its own universe. That's exactly how I define it. That's exactly how I define it. A plot hole is not, oh, I don't think this person would have done that. That's a plot hole. No, that's not what a plot hole is. A plot hole is a, a logic gap within the construct of the narrative as it's already been set up. For example, let's make something up here, Rob. Here's okay. an example of, of a plot. Let's say Rob and I are doing a movie. Okay. And in the movie, we say uh, Rob is at the power station. Rob is at the power station. As a matter of fact, Rob is under some kind of mystical, there's some incantation over the power station, Rob, that doesn't allow you to leave. So you're there at the power station. See, I, I, I was – when you first said that, I'm like, oh, I, I used to love Power Station. They were a splinter group from Duran Duran. That's, John Taylor was in it. <laughs> and now you mean, oh, the a pow, real Power Station. Yeah. Who was the lead singer of Power Station again? Um, uh, you know, irresistible. Simply Irresistible, Robert Palmer. Robert Palmer. That's I remember that. But no, let's say you're actually at a, a physical Power Station and there's an incantation on it that keeps you there. That's what we say in our story. And then later somebody says, oh, yeah, I ran into Rob at the 7-Eleven, blah, blah, blah. That creates a logic plot hole within the construct of the narrative itself. The narrative itself said that Rob can't, cannot, could not have been there because of something else the narrative already set as an absolute. 
And so when it breaks its own construct of what it said is its absolutes, that's when it becomes a plot hole. Not, I didn't like that she said that. That's a plot hole. No, that's not what a plot hole is. But when somebody asks you to define a plot hole, how do you describe it to people? Well, I, I think uh, it, it's a plot hole is something that is incongruous to the rest of the story as it's unfolding, something that does not make sense within the context of, like you said, the internal logic of, of what you, you've said or what you've stated. And like you said, if a character winds up someplace, but a, a plot hole, it's not like an inconsistency. It's not like a character inconsistency when, when suddenly Ray is using force healing powers that we've never seen before. That isn't a plot hole. You know, that's just playing fast and loose with the narrative. But like you said, the plot hole is when a character is someplace they couldn't possibly have been in the time that's been shown to you on, on screen. You know, like, come on, man, you, how could that person be in two places at once or how, you know, how did they how did they obtain something that they couldn't have obtained, like a gun or a car or something? Anything that you ask yourself, well, wait a minute. How did this occur? Now, one of the things that people always throw back in my face is if there's something that is plausible, but they don't actually address it directly. That's not necessarily a plot hole. Like, mm. say, how technology works, how traveling through time works. If they don't explain all of it, you can chalk it up to the fact that, okay, we're dealing with time. We understand kind of how the quantum realm works or kind of how it works in Back to the Future. But you also have to extrapolate that if A and B are true, then C, D, and E are also true. But they haven't – they just haven't told you that that they haven't directly addressed C, D, and E in terms of logic. But you can extrapolate on what you already know and make a supposition because a lot of the time people would say, well, that's a plot hole too. And I'm like, no, no, you have enough information to extrapolate that this is probably true. So mm. – I like that. You know, another good example of putting it is like this. Uh, this. This is a much simpler. I heard somebody say this once. Okay, here's what a plot hole is. A movie establishes that character X lost both their hands in a shipping accident 10 years ago. And then now fast forward to today and they say, ah, we know character X committed the murder because we found his fingerprints on the victim. That, that yeah. constitutes – that constitutes a plot hole. So I think that would yeah. be a good example of that. Anyway, okay, let's move on here. Uh, Jack Drees writes, saw the war with grandpa yesterday. Not, I have not seen it. I have, I'm not going to lie. I have no it looks good. I, I, no, it, I don't know why. I, no, I, it I, does not. You I do not think it looks good. good. You I, think it I'd looks good? That. Uh, you know what? <laughs> Those kinds of movies appeal to me, sort of the multi-generational and it looked like Robert De Niro was having a pretty good time that <laughs> oh, he wasn't just phoning in. <laughs> but wait, I hope this guy liked it. Does he say whether that's, he liked it or not? That's why it's all subjective. Let's move on here. Saw the war with Grandpa yesterday. All right, movie. Had a couple of laughs. Uh, but before the movie started, they played the Soul trailer. It ended by saying the, the November 20th release date. Uh, to know we'll never get this is a little disheartening uh, this year, man. Oh, I agree. And, and like I said, it was just a few days ago, like literally like 48 hours before the official announcement came out, they, the NBA playoffs started with the voice cast of Soul doing the intro to the playoff game and it ends with Pixar Soul coming in theaters November 20th, like 48 hours later. It comes out, yep, but they uh, probably a number of theaters that are still open still have those trailers running. So they'll have to correct that 
pretty quickly, Jack. They're going to have to correct that pretty quickly. All right, next up, Dark Knight Rises writes, Hi, John. I just wanted to check from about a week ago. Three books arrived this week from Amazon. The Filmmaker's Handbook by Steve Asher. I do have that one, and I did recommend that one. That one, I think it's on its fifth or sixth edition. I buy every new edition that comes out. It's I don't buy a ton of these books, but The Filmmaker's Handbook is one that I first picked up probably a decade ago, and I've just bought every edition ever since. Um, the Tools of Screenwriter by David Howard, yes. And Michael Caine's book on acting, were these your recommended titles? Yes. So what happened, Rob, was somebody wrote in the other day and asked me about a particular, you know, what books on filmmaking would I recommend? Those were the three that I recommended. Uh, do you have any one or two books that are, are instantly on the tip of your tongue when somebody says, to you, hey, Rob, I want to pick up a book on filmmaking. What's a good one to get? Is there anyone that stands out to you? On filmmaking, Walter Murch's book *In the Blink of an Eye* oh yes is a, a film editing book that I think is is amazing. And to be honest, you know, because they're easy to read for our audience, I don't mean easy to read like reading level, but because they're so Rinsler's books on the making of the original Star Wars movies, they're coffee table books. Those books are fascinating. All actually, all of Renzo's books. He recently came out with the making of Aliens. Before he that, he came out with the making of Alien, and then the making of Planet of the Apes. But his three books on the making of the original Star Wars trilogy are fascinating, and not just fascinating in terms of oh, these are how the movies are made, but the stories behind what happened, and sp- particularly the Star Wars and Empire books, because Empire, the production of Empire, was a mess. You know, and it, it th- there was one point where. They were they had run out of money and George Lucas, 20th Century Fox was like, hey, why don't you come back and uh, we'll 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 give you the money, but you have to give us the merchandising rights to Star Wars back. And Lucas is like, I'm not going to do that. And Gary Kurtz couldn't get a loan after the success of Star Wars, couldn't get a loan to finish Empire. And then he finally was able to get one from like the Bank of Boston or something. I mean. It was touch and go for a while, and 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 those books are fascinating reads. Also, it's an oldie but a goodie. William Goldman's book "Adventures in the Screen Trade" um, is one of the greatest books on Hollywood ever written. All right, let's move on here. Next up is Philadelphia Freedom writes. Hey, John, my Campia slash Burnett 2020 shirt just arrived this week. I love it, except the "Make America Filthy Again" thing. Not sure Mom will understand. LOL. Remember, folks, you do have a choice. Not really, because I'm Canadian and I cannot run for political office, but vote for me anyway, because I'll probably do a better job than anybody else. And with Robert Meyer Burnett there, how can things possibly go wrong? Get your Campia Burnett 2020 shirt today. Thanks for that, Philadelphia. All right, Mitch I didn't even writes. know you could get one. Oh, yeah. I made them available, dude. Made them, a bunch of people send me pictures with them and everything. Oh, I'll I'm show, buying them. Uh, I'm oh, buying yeah. one. All right. Min Tran writes. If you have a chance, you should watch the new film that was released in theaters, Yellow Rose. It's about an undocumented 17-year-old Filipina girl trying to find her place while trying to pursue country music after her mother was detained by ICE. I have not even heard of this one. No. Yellow Rose. I have not heard of this one. But obviously, I'm married to a Filipina. So that one, that's got a little bit of a connection to me there, Min. I might have to keep my eye open that. Thanks for the recommendation, dude. Min also writes, hypothetically. If this year's DC movies release schedule were reverse and Wonder Woman 84 was released in February, do you think Warner Brothers would still be pushing back Birds of Prey or would it have been released closer to Tenet? You know what? I'm going to defer this question to Rob because I, I think that movie is terrible. 
And I think they probably would have just dumped it straight to streaming had it not come out in theaters already. But there are a lot of people who liked it. But I, I but I'm, I'm my judgment is cloud on this one because I, I don't really like Rob. What do you think would have happened if if Wonder Woman had come out in February instead? What do you think would have happened to Birds of Prey right now? Oh, I I agree. I think they would have put it on streaming. Yeah. You know, it, uh, it, yeah, I think they would have put it on streaming. I absolutely yeah. think that. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> all right. I agree with you. All right. Next one up. Uh, let's see. Um, Lee Crow writes. One of three. Hey, John. Sorry. I think Rob is correct about the MCU. After Endgame, they need to do something different than phases. Uh, they're taking the comics idea of the smaller, more concentrated crossovers to raise raise the st- stakes with no Avengers movies. I think, well, by the way, I don't, I don't disagree with that either. I'm not, I, don't, I don't think that won't happen. Um, <laughs> uh, listen, I, I think they are going multiverse to bring things in and explains a lot. Jamie Foxx, Jane Thor, why Doctor Strange is necessary for Spider-Man 3, how J. Jonah Jameson is the same actor, why Feige has the next five years planned out, and so on. I'm with you. I don't usually like multiverse or time travel to fix things, but in my opinion, it's different when that's the antagonist. The multiverse saga is the new Infinity Saga. If someone is going to pull it off, it's Feige. DC announcing theirs just uh, fouled the thing a bit. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I think it's becoming clear that we are going to get some kind of interconnected story here, particularly between WandaVision, Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness, Spider-Man. Well, Spider-Man 3 is a bit of a question mark. I don't think anything is automatic. But with Jamie Foxx being in there and all kind of stuff, it does kind of hint that they could be tying that all in. And by the way, Spunk. The, the Sony-verse looks like it's probably getting tied in, too, with Michael Keaton's character popping up in the Morbius trailer. So, I mean, there could be a lot of that kind of stuff. I acknowledge that that, that may be a direction they're going. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion like a bunch of people do. Remember, Rob, a lot of people thought it was a foregone conclusion that Wolverine was showing up Infinity War because Thanos had those three scar marks on his face. I mean, so there, clear, obvious proof that Wolverine is going to show up in it. <laughs> Um, I don't think that's clear and obvious, but I do think it's it's very well as something that could be being implied right now for sure. I just don't like it. You know, I, I don't like multiverse junk. I don't like all that kind of stuff. I don't mind multiverse when it's done the way it sounds like Walter Hamada wants to use multiverse over in DC as just a way to explain why you have so many different standalone stories that are not interconnected with each other. I, but I don't know. But I will say this. You are absolutely right. If anybody is going to pull this off, it's Kevin Feige. If anybody is going to pull this off, it's Kevin Feige. And I'd be lying if I said I w- that I wasn't excited. Of course I'm excited about it. I have my reservations, but I'm still excited. Rob, what do you think? How's your thoughts on all this evolved? Well, I, I mean, like I told you, I, you know, I sort of floated my theory out there that that this is going to be a multiverse story and it, it's going to hark back to – crossovers like the annual crossovers they were doing the comics because you know Mar- the marvel cinematic universe rightfully so takes their cues from the comics and they've done a lot right by doing that and i think the idea that there's you know look obviously endgame and infinity war the, their success speaks for itself civil war was a great crossover and i think that doing a mini crossover uh is a good idea i think it's fun 
And the fact that you're going to give a bigger presence to Doctor Strange and you've got all this. I mean, everybody's speculating about the spider versus at Sony and at, at Marvel and, and and by by combining them or using them, spinning them off. And, and I, I just think I think the whole thing just sounds fun to me. You know, like like I don't know quite how it's and maybe Kang is involved because there's time travel. I'm like, you know, we're not getting an Avengers movie anytime soon. So this could be quite fun. And I, I think this uh, this as a longtime comic reader and fan, I don't know what they're doing, but I'm excited to find out. Uh, which is normally our mantra for what's going on at the MCU. Don't know what they're doing, but I'm excited <laughs> to find out. All right. right. Min, Min Tran writes, I recently read an article that Tom Ellis would love to play the next Doctor and Doctor Who. I think you'll probably fa- find about 50,000 working actors that would say they would love to play Doctor Who. Um, obviously, actors want work. Uh, or, in a, or in another term, uh, the sky is blue. My question is, if he was cast as the Doctor, would you start watching regularly? No. Uh, I Listen, I... I like Tom Ellis. I've never seen Tom Ellis in anything else other than Lucifer. I have no idea if he's a good actor or a bad actor. I know he's great as Lucifer. I don't know if he's a terrific actor outside of that, but just because he played Lucifer doesn't mean I'm going to watch anything and everything he's in. Um, I've never gotten into Doctor Who. Don't misinterpret me. I'm not saying I don't like Doctor Who. I'm saying I've never watched it. I don't watch it. At least not since uh, whoever the doctor was that had the big had the big scarf and the big brim hat, David something or other. Tom Baker. Tom Baker. Thank you. Not David at all. Uh, Tom Baker. I used to watch some reruns of that when I was a kid, but I, I, other than that, I've never really watched Doctor Who. But no, I would probably not start watching just because Tom Ellis uh, played it. But I got to admit, though, it would probably raise my, my curiosity. It would at least raise my curiosity a bit. All right. Nick S. writes, hey, John. Uh, I and uh, IGN announced the release date for New Mutants on Blu-ray and digital. Do you think Disney will release a big box set of all the Fox Marvel films, or do you think they won't, knowing that Kevin Feige will do his version later down the line? Um, despite the fact, f- first of all, Kevin Feige doing something different down the line won't change what has been done historically, so that doesn't change anything. Despite the fact that physical media is dying, there's still some money to be made there. I have very little doubt that there are people who probably already own four different versions of different X-Men movies. If you put out one big collection box set, the Fox era X-Men universe box set, there are going to be people who would buy it. I'm going to show you one of them right now. There he is. Uh, I think there are going to be people who will absolutely 100% buy it. Uh, so I don't. I have no information that says they're going to. I'll just say this, Rob. I'll. I'd be surprised if sometime in the next twelve months we don't hear a release of this monster box set of every Fox era X Men movie with tons of bonus stuff and all that kind of whatever. I think it's coming. Do you think they'll do that? Well, they just. I, let me look this up. I. I. I think they just said that they're rebranding. They're rebranding all uh, on Disney Plus. They're they're adding a section. I, I don't know if they're calling it Marvel Legends, but they're taking all the Fox Marvel movies and giving them a separate thing. That's remember I heard something about that. Yes. Yeah, I mean I re- I Marvel don't Marvel Legacy. Don't, I think it's called Marvel Legacy or Marvel something. Legacy. That yeah, Marvel Le- is different. That's an action figure line. But the the yeah that makes sense. And you know I don't know. I mean, they could obviously they could put out a box set because all of the 
other than New Mutants, which is coming out in 4K, they're all they've got uh, they've got the masters for them. But I, I don't know if they would necessarily do that. I mean, honestly, Disney is moving away from physical media. I know they're releasing the Mandalorian on physical media because it's Star Wars, but I don't know. You know, those the the X Men movies have all been pretty much released in 4K. I don't know if they're gonna they would do that. It'd be cool. I would buy it if it came out, depending on how it was packaged. Like I like the way they did the Skywalker saga, but I don't know. I, I just see Disney moving away from physical media. And now that they're all available on Disney Plus, would it sell? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think there's money to be made. There, do you think so. they would put? You think they'd put Electra in that box set? <laughs> Daredevil. Well, I don't. I don't know because that the, those were never connected with their X universe, so I don't know. I don't think they no, would. No, but I mean, if you're going to do the entire Marvel, the Fox, would you put in the Fantastic Four movies? Would you put in the Daredevil movies? I, I think mean, they just do the X-Men ones. I think they probably just do, like, they keep it to theme, make it all the, the, the X-Men universe stuff for all the good and the bad. And I, I think they'll do it, despite the fact that I agree. Disney is definitely moving away. And the whole idea of getting people to transfer over to streaming from physical. But they also just showed with Mulan that they were willing to put it out to other streaming services if they thought it could get them a couple of extra bucks for now, which ended right. up being a total disaster. But I think there's a small and shrinking window, Rob, where doing some physical media releases can still make you a little bit of money. And it is a, it's a window that is disappearing. I think they may think this is something that could make some shekels. I'm not sure, but we'll find out. All right. Uh, let's keep going here. Min Tran writes, who are some of your favorite current full-time wrestlers? I don't watch a lot of wrestling right now like Ann does. Ann and Corey still watch a lot of wrestling. I don't. Um, so uh, I don't know who would be some of my favorite wrestlers right now. I I couldn't even I couldn't even name. I couldn't name 10 full-time wrestlers right now. I couldn't name 10 of them. So I, I don't really know that I have any favorite one. That's a current full-timer right now. All right. Micah T writes, John, in my opinion, I think Peter uh, just giving the Edith glasses to Mysterio so casually in Far From Home proves he still needs some type of mentor. Uh, he's still only a high schooler. And if there's some multiverse madness going on, I think he needs he'll need Doctor Strange. I, I get that. But here's the thing. It again just keeps saying that Spider-Man isn't actually capable. Because, Rob, the last time I checked, Spider-Man was a high school student for about 45 years in the comics. <laughs> but Spider-Man was always... There were times he had mentors, but for the most part, Spider-Man was still Spider-Man. He was sufficient. He didn't need somebody else holding his hand. He didn't need... Like, he's not good enough to carry a movie on his own. You got to put in another Marvel heavyweight in order to carry it. I And I just think you've done that enough already. You already did that with Spider-Man Homecoming. And then you did it again with Spider-Man Far From Home. We need to do it again in the next one. And again, I don't know that they're going to have Doctor Strange do that. Maybe Doctor Strange is really going to be more there as a consultant to him than actual father figure. I don't know, but that's the part that makes me nervous. But Rob, it does highlight for me. I like, I very much like Spider-Man Far From Home. I did. But one of the stupidest, dumbest things that that movie did was Tony Stark took 
what could be one of the most dangerous and deadly pieces of technology in the world and left it to a high school kid. That's not about trusting that he can handle himself out in the field. He took possibly and potentially the most dangerous piece of technology in the world and left it to a high school kid. That is not something Tony Stark would have done. That Now, again, that's not a plot hole, but I think it's a massive inconsistency in the character. Tony Stark would have been smart enough to know you cannot, instead of, he didn't leave it to Hap, really, really. He didn't leave it to Pepper, really. He trusted this kid more than he trusted Pepper, really. He wouldn't have left it to Cap, really, really. <laughs> he wouldn't have left it to the Doc, to Banner, Really? No, he's going to leave it to a high school kid who promptly and immediately handed it off to somebody else. And who, by the way, almost killed his own, you know, school bus of kids and he injured other kids using it. I mean, Tony Stark would not have done that. One of my biggest little pet peeves about that, about that movie, but I still have pet peeves about it. So you're not wrong. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Just one of the little things there. All right. uh, Next up. Uh, Dizzy Moose writes, hey, John, uh, Spider-Man has always been important to me. So when they slap on that stupid suit on him and be like, that's not effing Spider-Man. I love Tom, but can we please get a Spider-Man only movie? We were uh, we're where we see how truly special Spider-Man is. Drizzy, that's all I'm asking for. Now, look, I don't like the stupid dumbass Iron Man Jr. suit that they make Spider-Man wear in Homecoming. It's idiotic. But I live with it because I like the movie. The movie's still good to me and I still love it. And it does look cool. I'm not going to take that away. It looks cool. But So I live with it, but it's still something that bothers me. I mean, okay, fine. Now he's got to be mentored by this person. At what point, Rob, does Marvel go, oh, did you know that actually Spider-Man's pretty cool? That people think Spider-Man's pretty good and pretty cool on his own? Like, when when do they stop feeling like it's got to be, we can only do Spider-Man if it's Spider-Man and? At what point? They, they, let, they let Ant-Man have his own movie? At what point does Marvel go, you know what? We don't have to do Spider-Man and. Because everything is Spider-Man and. Spider-Man and Iron Man Jr. suit. Spider-Man and Iron and Tony Stark. Spider-Man and Nick Fury. Spider-Man and Doctor Strange. At what point does Marvel go, oh, you know, t- turns out people think Spider-Man's pretty cool. And we can do a Spider-Man movie where he gets to be Spider-Man. At what point do they do that, Rob? Because it doesn't look like they're going to do it in the next movie. What do you think? Uh, you know, I, look, I agree with you. The 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 thing The thing about it is... You know, I like Spider-Man dealing with his own – like I thought that the th- third movie should be called Spider-Man Homefront because you have Homecoming. I love that Farf- idea of yours. I love you know, that idea. You know, spar- home, uh, where, there's, where it, Spider-Man has now come home and he's got to protect his neighborhood. Something's going on. Like where – and on two fronts, he's both protecting the neighborhood as Peter Parker in his civilian guise – and also as Spider-Man, doing both things. And and it would be interesting to see that if as Peter Parker, he was at odds with what he needed to do at, at, as Spider-Man in the neighborhood. So he, in one on one sense, he's doing one thing, and in Spider-Man, he's doing something else. Um, I think that I would love to see that. But, you know, they've established this character. He started out in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a supporting character in other movies, um, like in, in obviously in Civil War. 
And I, I think that they, they have, uh, maybe they feel they can't break away that they don't have enough of an interesting story without involving other people, even though I think that's silly. Um, but yeah, like you, I, I would really like to see a standalone Spider-Man movie where the stakes are smaller. You know, everything has been so apocalyptic with him, all the, the Avengers being torn apart and then literally the world being torn apart and then reality being torn apart. And then he comes back and Mysterio and all that. I, I, I'd, I'd like to see just a regular Spider-Man movie, uh, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. What's wrong with that? I mean, look, I, I, and again, Ant-Man, and I love Ant-Man, but you gave Ant-Man, Shang-Chi. I'm excited about Shang-Chi. He's Me getting too. his own movie right away. I, I'm very curious to see what they're going to do with Ms. Marvel. Ms. Marvel's getting her own thing. I mean, I don't know. The, yeah, that's just where I'm at right now. Okay, uh, let's keep this going. Um... Where are we at? Uh, the, uh, the Midget writes, uh, since your doc, uh, documentary movie is coming out soon, can we buy direct from you so you don't have to pay fees? Or should we buy from a different platform to show people are buying your content? Keep up the good work. Well, right now, I don't, I'm not even sure where the movie's. I'm not 100% sure where the movie's going to be available yet. Because I still, I'm just at the beginning process of... You know, I'm doing a couple of festivals. I'm going to see if there's any interested parties at that point. That's where I'm putting it out there to see if there's interest in it. And then I've got some plans about what I can do with it. Uh, I have it, but it will be available. But no, it won't be buying it directly from me. I have no plans to put it out on physical media. Just so everybody knows, I have no plans of putting my movie out on physical media. So it will not be directly from, from me. It'll be through another party. But I will let you know as soon as I can what those parties will be. All right. An anonymous viewer writes, uh, one day there's going to be a, a blockbuster biographical film about Donald Trump. Uh, what actor would you like to see take on the role? Personally, I'd like to see Josh Gad get a shot at it. I'm just going to avoid that altogether because it's a political issue. And no matter what answer I give, somebody's going to overanalyze it <laughs> and say there was something secret or hidden to what it was I was saying. I appreciate you asking the question, but I, I'm not going to take that question. Uh, James L.H. writes, hey, John, one of two. I am looking forward to Tom Hanks' News of the World. Me too. That trailer was great. Had a little bit of a true grit feel to it. I like that trailer a lot. But I admit at first, I thought it was about the uh, – uh, I thought – is this about the UK Sunday tabloid? Uh, so do you think the title will change when it's released here in the UK? Example, Ford v. Ferrari. The paper was the largest sold. I'll, uh, sorry, let's go on to part two. In the UK, my dad read it. I hated it. Uh, it was closed when caught and charged phone hacking for stories. Uh, the most infamous was hacking the phone of a murdered 13-year-old girl. I think they should because of that confusion, but also the stress it may cause. I'll tell you what, Rob. I actually kind of thought, when I saw the trailer for News of the World, it completely threw me off. Because the title, News of the World, I just assumed, I know he already did the paper, but I was I was just assuming that it was going to be a, a movie about a newsman. Some important events surrounding the newsman. I thought they should have, change the title just for that on that movie but i do not think they are going to change the title i, I think they should but i don't think they will rob did you have a chance to see the trailer and yeah. what do you think about the titling and do you think they could possibly change it no i don't think they're going to change it i think there's something about it the the fact that it's sort of incongruous the fact that uh, the, i i i think that um people will talk about it i mean we're talking about it right now so it proves that there's something about the title that has people paying attention so indeed it is. All right, let's keep things going here. Next up, 
we've got a uh, hardcore curtsy who writes, John, you need this. I need it. But alas, I can't. Uh, I can't Superman. Oh, Superman. Uh, Superman call call to action premium format figure by Sideshow Collectibles. It almost makes me cry. Please buy it now. So I know it has a good home. Perfect is an overused word. But this at this moment, it is perfect. Rob, are you familiar with the Superman call to action figure? Uh, a Superman call to action premium format by Sideshow Collectibles. Oh, 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 yes. Yes. I mean, Is it's it, a stat. It's a statue. Um, and, uh, you know, like Sideshow does, it's tasty. And, yeah, they've been showing it around. So, I, uh, you know, I don't collect. I, I used to collect Sideshow statues. But now, like, dude, the companies that make these statues, whether it's Prime One, uh, they're un. The statues are unbelievable. Sideshow stepped up their game. There's a YouTuber named Gem Mint, and he basically collects. He does a show that's about uh, hardcovers, omnibuses, and also he does a lot of statue unboxings. And I watch his channel to live vicariously through him because <laughs> he gets all the great superhero statues. And I'm like, man, those are great. But Elizabeth's like, why would you want to get just a statue? I'm like, because they're awesome. And she's <laughs> like, but they just sit there and collect dust. I'm like, no, when you walk into the room, they inspire you and make you realize why you love that character so much. And you stand in awe of the sculpting and the paintwork and the pose and all that. And she's like, you can't have statues. I'm like, well, all right. No, I, I kind of get the same thing. Like one of the reasons that I love having the figures or even just the pops is because it to me, it inspires me. Like, cause when right. I turn around and I look at say a, like just, I got a rocket raccoon pop back here. Right. Or yeah. I look over my other shoulder and I look at uh, one of my Batman pops or something. Right. I look at that and it makes me think of the creativity went into that, the storytelling, the imagination. Yep, I just, I look at, I put this stuff out and I have it out. Cause every time I walk into my office, I see it and I feel inspired and that's Dude. what I like. You know, for, I unboxed my seven samurai figures I pointed out are sitting right yeah, next to the side of me. Yeah, you can see a couple. Actually, I'll bring up your full shot here I, so people can see them I, there. I hadn't taken them out of their – I mean, I, I've displayed them over the years. I got them in the early 2000s. But uh, yesterday, I spent like an hour taking them out of the box and posing them. <laughs> like I wanted to make them look ready for action. And they were joined, of course, by Toshiro Mofuni's Yojimbo. So he's on the shelf twice. But still. And I, you know, I walked in here, I, I'd forgotten that I did that. So before I walked in the show today, I walked in, turned on the lights and I'm like, oh, there's my seven samurai figures. And I just, I felt, I felt very good about going on the show today because I was inspired too. Well, Rob, with that being said, we've kept you a little bit over time here. So thanks a lot for being here on this Monday. In the meantime, where can people follow you and your adventures online? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett. Find me on YouTube at Burnett RM and or, no, find me on YouTube at the Burnett Work, where I have, by the way, our international intergalactic film festival going on. I'm dropping another new movie tomorrow and another one uh, on Thursday, and you can you can enter until December first, and then you can also find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. <laughs> All right, Rob, so. thanks a lot for being here, man, and we will talk to you again shortly. Take care, dude. All right, man. Have a good day. All right, guys, that is, of course, the one and the only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. We still have some time here to keep rifling through your questions, so let's keep things rolling here. And we're now going to go over to a question from Kara Black, who writes, Gal Gadot is only capable of delivering a decent slash good performance when working with Patty Jenkins. She won't be as good in Death on the Nile as she will be in 
uh, Wonder Woman, as she will be in Wonder Woman 84 slash Cleopatra. Hence, she is a system actress, just like a system quarterback in the NFL. Well, I mean, th- there's something you got, you're taking, you're not taking into account that she can, she's improving. She's getting better. Look, I still, I don't like the fact that she got to play Wonder Woman. They should have gotten a better actress who could elevate that material and make it even better and all that kind of stuff. But she was really just, she had never really been an actress before that. And she was just kind of at the start of her journey in that regard. You have to leave room the fact that she's going to, well, hopefully she's going to improve and get, get better as she goes. Now, let's not forget that in Death on the Nile, she is also in the hands of a world-class director in Kenneth Branagh, world-class director. And so I don't think there's any reason for us to assume that we won't see any improvement in her performance in Death on the Nile from her previous work. I'm not guaranteeing we're going to see improvement, but I don't think there's any reason to assume we won't see improvement and and growth, right? Especially being in the hands of another extremely gifted director in Kenneth Branagh. So I agree. I I would at this point qualify her as a system quarterback. I, I would qualify that. But a system quarterback who is only still in the earlier, early-ish stages of their career, who has shown growth already, and there's no reason to assume they can't continue to grow, right? Do I think Gal Gadot is an A-list Hollywood actress? Absolutely not. No chance in hell. Do I think she's a terrible actress now? No, she's not a terrible actress now. Quite frankly, she's not anymore. She's no longer a terrible actress. And if she was that yesterday, but she's this today, I think there's room for optimism that tomorrow she could be even better. We don't know that'll that'll be the case, but the fact that she's back in the hands of Patty Jenkins, who is, again, I believe a world-class director, I can't guarantee she's going to be good, or I can't guarantee she's going to be better than she's been before, but I also don't believe there's any reason to assume that she won't be. So let's see. Let's see. Again, is is Gal Gadot the right choice to play Cleopatra? No. But that doesn't mean it can't work. And if she does continue to get better, and if she does continue to improve, as she has done over the past four or five years, it can work out. I think it can work out. I'm not assuming it will, but I'm not assuming it won't either. So let's let's see how that plays out, Kara. All right, next up. Uh, we got the Wakandan Forever rights. John, I had a major geek binge. Halloween is coming up, and I got two costume pieces. King T'Challa Black Panther necklace and Captain America Shield uh, Falcon in Endgame. Uh, Captain America Shield Falcon in El- Endgame. I'm not sure what that means. But then I got my my uh, my first Funko Pops, 10 in total. I'm hooked. What have you started, John? I mean, listen, I'll tell you what. I Again, I've told this story before, but I would not get Pops, right? I just wouldn't get pops despite the fact that Dennis and Ray and Jonathan, like almost every day went out and bought new pops. I wouldn't get them. Then Ray came back one day from the shopping spree and he bought me, he had bought me two pops from supernatural and I got hooked. The really cool thing about pops other like that's different from sideshow collectibles is that pops are like 10 or 12 bucks a piece. 
as opposed to the hot toys. And I've got a couple of those, which are like 250 to $350 a piece, right? So it's a lot cheaper of a thing to get into, but I, I like them a lot. I'm glad you're enjoying them, Wakandan. Okay, next up, Ryan Loner writes, one of two. Uh, it's the late 70s, and George Lucas has handed off the sequel of his hit movie to a hand-picked director while still hovering over his every move as a producer. Also, a major star of the first film refuses to come back without a major salary bump, and no one's really happy with the script, with a lot of them saying it's the kind of movie that really shouldn't have a sequel. I'm, of course, talking about more American Graffiti. Um, listen, American Graffiti, back in those days, First of all, George Lucas's little uh, student film, the side, why am I freezing on the name of it, uh, on the actual number? Uh, hold on a second. George Lucas. Um, uh, uh, it was THX. What was it called? It was called THX. One, I think it was THX1138 because that's normally his number, right? 1138. Hold on a second. Yes, THX1138. For a lot of people like Steven Spielberg, it was THX 1138 was the movie. Like Steven Spielberg tells a story when he saw THX 1138, he's like, who's this guy that made this movie? Who's this guy that made this movie? And then when he made, and that of course was the short film that put George Lucas's name out there amongst the studios. And so he got the opportunity to make American Graffiti. It is still amazing to me how many Star Wars fans have never watched American Graffiti. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. Um, and it's what allowed him to go forward and you know create the empire that he did. But if you have not seen American Graffiti, uh, please take uh, Ryan Loner's lead here and, and go and check it out. Because, again, I'm always surprised how many people who are indeed – uh, big fans of like Star Wars stuff like that, and yet have never watched that one. Go, it's it's definitely not Star Wars, but it's a great movie. Go and check it out. All right, Orange Hand writes, "Hey John and friends, is there any movie that you dislike or isn't good that you think benefited the film industry as a whole in some way? Example, uh, trying out a special effects that looked bad but helpful for the future of the push push the technology future. I listen. My answer is going to be very unpopular. Blade Runner." I, I am amongst the very few people, and li listen, you always know you will always get my honest opinion. I will not just say something for the sake of making sure I say the popular thing. I'm always going to give you my honest opinion. I've never liked the original Blade Runner. Never. But that Blade Runner movie pushed forward the, the entire genre of sci-fi. I mean, that movie for a lot of people was the, a lot of people like Blade Runner was like the first movie that really put sci-fi on the map for a lot of people. The importance of that movie, whether or not I personally liked it or not is irrelevant. The importance of that movie cannot be um, overstated. It's an incredibly important, vital film. And so uh, another, just in terms of technology, I think another one would be uh, The Phantom Menace. Listen, I don't like the movie The Phantom Menace. It's a terrible movie. But it was the most significant advanced in visual effects, in, I think, in the history of cinema. There have always been big hallmark moments, but that leap that The Phantom Menace gave us in terms of visual effects and the techniques and things that could be possible, 
there were like at least five or six different things that were considered impossible, will never be able to be done, that were then done in that movie. And then it became commonplace, right? Cannot underestimate the importance on that level as well. So there, there's a few of the more enchant. All right. Uh, let's see here. Next up, Frankie Gouge writes, um, along with a relatively, along with Along with be relatively new to your circle and shows, I have been bored with nothing coming out and going back on YouTube and watching responses and reviews, especially Marvel films. Never knew about John Schnepp uh, till after his death. Oh, that's unfortunate. It's, it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like what I said at the beginning of the show. For those of us who are sports fans, do not take for granted the fact that we live in an era where we get to watch LeBron James play right? Arguably the greatest basketball player of all time. Of course, the argument is now whether it's him or Michael Jordan, right? A lot of people still think it's Michael Jordan. There's a very good argument made for that. Some people think maybe LeBron is caught up. There's an argument made for that anyway. Um, I always had the sense when working with John Schnepp about appreciate this, that we get to watch John Schnepp doing what he did and uh, on there, and it's it's a shame. But hey, man, at least that's a great thing about YouTube. You can go back and watch all the John Schnepp goodness, so that's a good thing. All right, Frankie also writes, he lived, uh, he live, he lived and loved this shit, didn't he? Oh, he absolutely did. Um, I wish I had knew him before he died. He had such clarity about it, no doubt. Just love that love of it. Uh, if I could grab the time stone, I would make sure he got to see Endgame. Oh yeah. I mean, like I, it, it was really funny because I took Rob to go. I took him to the Disney lot for the first press screening of Avengers Endgame. And Rob and I went and grabbed lunch first before driving over to, uh, to Disney's studios. And I had actually seen the movie the night before because I was at the premiere. The next day was the first press screening. So Rob came over, we drove, grabbed lunch on the way to the studio. And we talked about the year before, one year earlier, Rob was making that same drive to Disney studios to see the first press screening of infinity war, but he was going as John Schnepp's plus one. And so there, we, we got to sit there and reminisce about that, that one year earlier, that here I was, I was now taking him as my plus one, that one year earlier he had gone as Schnepp's guest. So uh, it, it sucks that John Schnepp never got to see Endgame, but he got to see Infinity War. Frankly, I thought Infinity War was the better of the two. So he did get to see the best one. Um, but yeah, he did at least get to see Infinity War. And uh, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. All right. Thanks for writing that in, Frankie. All right, uh, let's see. Um, Preston the Kryptonian writes, Hey, John, I rewatched the Back to the Future trilogy, nice, and noticed another inconsistency. In part three, Doc tells Marty that they need gasoline to power the DeLorean, when in part one, he clearly says that they need plutonium to power the DeLorean thoughts. I don't, I don't know. I Listen, I love Back to the Future almost as much as everybody else. I'm not the biggest fan of Back to the Future 2 and 3, to be quite frank. I don't think they're bad. Don't get me wrong. I don't think they're bad. But I'm not like – I don't get excited about 2 and 3 that much either. But remember, the, the vehicle itself goes through changes, right? For instance, the DeLorean at the beginning of the first Back to the Future, it was one thing. 
by the end of the first Back to the Future, when Doc comes back up to pick up Marty and his girlfriend, it goes to the end of the streets and he says, roads, we don't need roads. And it transforms into this flying machine, something it was not at the beginning of the movie. So you got to leave a little bit of room that there might have been some somehow, some way that may or may not have been ever explained some evolutions in the vehicle itself. So that could be an issue. All right. Caleb writes. So is this Cleopatra separate from the one Sony is doing with uh, Pascal, Scott Rudin producing Villeneuve or Fincher for Cameron directing uh, Roth, Scopper writing and Jolie or Lady Gaga starring. Do you think that one ever still happen? Well, that, it's funny you ask that because that's exactly what we brought up earlier. Um, yes, it is definitely a separate thing. Remember, Cleopatra is a public domain figure, right? Nobody owns the rights to the character of Cleopatra. You can write a Cleopatra movie yourself. I mean, it's kind of like Thor. Marvel doesn't own the character Thor. Marvel owns their version of Thor, but you can do a Thor movie based on Norse mythology. You can do a Thor movie tomorrow if you wanted to. So yes, this is a separate film from that. And it'll be interesting to see if they still move forward and do this one. I think, I think they will. I don't know that they will. I'm taking a guess. I'm taking a guess that they're still going to move forward and do that one too because they've been working on that one for a long time. All right, Chris Warden also writes, Greetings, John, my Canadian brother, and happy Canadian Thanksgiving. Thank you so much. Anyways, how about that season two finale, The Boys? Great stuff. Girls get it done. Fresca, soup goop. I, I'll tell you what. I, I didn't think it was – I didn't need for this season of The Boys to be as good as season one. I didn't need it to be as good. Because season one was so great, even if it was like 75% as good as the first season, I was still going to love it. I legitimately think this season was even better. And that ending. Oh my gosh. Again, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but cheering and heartbreak and shock and amazement and like, oh, ah, by the way, I will say this though, that little post-credit thing they did with, with uh, Homelander. I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. I didn't think it worked putting that in there because that was a shot and a scene that was done for season one. And then I think they saw us talking about soup goop and they decided let's put it back in, which is kind of fun, but it didn't fit as well. You know what I mean? It didn't fit. It's funny, but it didn't fit, but whatever. Season two of the boys was even better than season one. And that finale was incredible. All right. Next up, Orange Hand writes, uh, so why did George Lucas surround himself with yes men? Did he think all of his decisions were perfect? On a side note, I think the status of Kylo Ren's helmet is a, a microcosm of how the sequels were managed, intact, destroyed, rebuilt, all over the place. Um, well, yeah, I mean, that, that fundamentally, I think, ultimately ended up what was the big problem with the prequels, was that George Lucas was the High Lord and Emperor and literally had nobody he answered to. And nobody could challenge him. And what's funny is, when even when you watch... By the way, I may not like the prequels, but the special features on the DVDs of the prequels are some of the best, best behind-the-scenes uh, footage stuff and behind-the-scenes documentary and bonus features ever in the history of Hollywood. Seriously. The, the behind-the-scenes features on the prequel movies are outstanding. If you're a film fan, you got to watch them. But one of the things you notice is that nobody ever said 
anything to George that wasn't exactly what George wanted to hear. Like, seriously, go back and watch all of it. Whenever George is like, well, what if we did, uh, what if we did this? It's everybody going, yeah, George, that's a great idea, George. That's awesome. Awesome, George. Wonderful, George. Yes, George. Yes, George. Yes, George. Yes, George. Seriously, go back and watch it. There was never one ounce of pushback. There was never once, you know, George, maybe the character going, P-Yusa, after he steps in poop, maybe, maybe that doesn't work. Like, not once. Everything, when you watch all of it, it's, yes, George. Oh, great idea, George. Oh, George, so good. Such a great idea, George. Everything was perfect. He had nobody to answer to. I do not think that is a great environment for creativity, right? I honestly don't think, like, oh, just just give the, give the filmmaker all the freedom to do whatever the filmmaker wants. No, that's not actually a good creative environment. That's not a good creative environment. When there's nothing there to challenge you, when there's nothing there to give a little pushback, when there's nothing there to give you notes, and it's, I, I, I just think you end up with the prequels is what you get. But who wouldn't surround themselves with yes men? I mean, listen, I, 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 and I personally, amidst all my flaws, of which there are many, like one of the things that I, I've always done well, I think, is... I love surrounding myself with people that are real, obviously very talented, but will distinctly have their own vision and voice. You know, that's one of the reasons why I used to like working with Christian Harloff so much um, is because, you know, Christian, Christian and I would often be of the same mind. Like when something was a good idea, we would both recognize as a good idea, but there were many times that, you know, that Christian and I would get behind a door and Christian would go, I don't think this is the right move. I think we need to do this. And seven times out of 10, I'd go, okay, let's, let's do it that way. And three or four times out of 10, I'd go, no, nah, I'm really sticking with this idea. We're going to do this instead. But that was always, that was great. You know, an old Bible verse, iron sharpens iron, right? Dennis Zen, like nobody, <laughs> Dennis, no. Dennis is great. If you know Dennis Zen, like Dennis... Dennis is so even keel, like it's it's in refreshing. He's so even keel, which makes him a really nice balance to me. But it's like you know, I, I'd say, okay, duh, duh, duh. yeah, that's a that's a great idea. Another next day, okay, I want to do this, this, and this. Dennis, yeah, I don't think that's gonna work. You know, it's just I. It's just good to surround yourself with people who will do both, and I, I think that's why. Back in that day when AMC Movie Talk was at the height of its powers and all that kind of stuff, one of the reasons because we had we were always surrounded by people who had the best interests of the show and and always sometimes had had very different opinions and points of view than I did. And I think when you're building an empire like George did, I think it's I think the prequels show that you got to make sure that when you're the top dog, like there's nobody above you like not even a studio above you. He was the head of everything. You need to put people around you that you trust and that they know, tell me when you think something I'm doing is wrong. Tell me when I'm saying something that's not a great idea. You're not going to get fired because I think we should do this. Well, actually, George, I don't think that'll work aesthetically. And the next day you get your, your pink slip, you're fired, you know? But uh, I, 
but listen, it's also the natural. Isn't that what all human beings would do? Isn't the isn't all of ours, including me, our natural inclination is if I could build whatever I want and I'm completely charged one thousand percent, I'm just going to surround myself with people who just agree with me all the time, right? Like, and it's a temptation. But I like having Aaron Cummings on the show who will get into it with me and will like like feverishly disagree with me on something and we can go at it. I love having Robert Meyer Burnett who we can feverishly disagree on things. I like that stuff. I think that's good. But anyway, that's just me. All right. Uh, 45 writes, have you ever seen Revenge of the Green Dragons? Awesome movie. I want to say yes. I want to say yes. Hold on a second. Um, let me just make sure that this is the right one I'm thinking of. Oh, no, no, sorry. I was completely thinking of a different one. This is the one uh, with Justin Chan. No, I have, this is not one. Andrew Lau, I believe, directed it too. Hold on a second. I'm totally wrong about that. It was and Oh, no, no, this is the one. Yeah, it was co-directors. Okay, so yes, I know the one you're th talking about, but no, I have not seen this one. This one I haven't seen. I was totally thinking of a different movie. This one, I'm familiar with this movie, but I have not had a chance to see it. Um... If I'm not mistaken, it's like an 80s underground crime movie sort of thing. If it's the one I'm thinking of, have not watched it yet, but I've always wanted to see it. So I will at some point get around to watching this one. All right. Next up, uh, Aaron writes, hello, John. How's your day going? So far, my day is going great. Thank you. Nothing but online classes for me. I just wanted to see if you got around to watching The Devil All the Time yet. Nope. Still have not watched Devil All the Time, even though it's right downstairs on Netflix I can watch anytime. I've still not gotten around to it. This weekend was a lot of sports, a lot of Catan. Anne and I got the uh, Settlers Catan Game of Thrones edition. And we played, like we had a couple of people come over, a couple of friends come over. And we played like three or four rounds of that. Uh, got into watching Shit's Creek, which I've never watched before. Good Canadian show. Just won all the Emmy Awards. Oh my God, that show's amazing. I cannot believe I'm this late uh, to the train for Schitt's Creek. So I was watching a bunch of that, but no, still, still have not gotten around to watching the new Tom Holland, Robert Pattinson devil all the time movie. And I need to, I just never gotten around to it, but hopefully I will soon. All right. I uh, just have a couple of minutes left here, guys. Star Wars rocks rights. So, hey, John. So Paramount has just announced their seventh live action Transformers film to be released in May 2022. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't seem to remember them announcing the sixth film to you. I'm not quite I'm not familiar with what it is you're talking about. Give me one second here. There was certainly nothing there when I was looking. Uh, let me see if there's anything here popping up on the old news feed. I'm not seeing anything from the, from the major trades. Yeah, I'm not seeing anything. And so I don't know where you're getting that Star Wars rocks, but as of right now, I'm not seeing anything in the major trades about that. So uh, I, I will look into it more a little bit later. I will look into it more later. Thanks for writing that in. Uh, leave it to Beave writes, Hey crew, ever since the theaters have shut down, I've been searching through the streaming universe on new content. I came across the Ip Man movies and wow, what a fun time and awesome fight scenes. I really enjoyed all four movies. Donnie Yen is the man. The second one was my favorite. Number two is my favorite. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why. I mean, they get the Ip Man movies start to get a little more progressively bonkers <laughs> as they move along. Um, true, but they're still fun and they're still great. And I, I love the first two, but for me personally, the second one was the most, we, I, a couple months ago, we did this full breakdown of, of it, man too. But 
Uh, that one I like quite a bit. And one of the many reasons why Donnie Yen is absolutely the man, leave it to beef. Absolutely. I'm glad you got turned on to that, man. All right. Dixon Sider writes, uh, sup, John, just want to say Lakers number 17, boys. This one's for you, Kobe. Speaking of the NBA, did you ever watch the fantastic Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance on Netflix? It's one of the best docs I've ever seen. It is not one of the best docs I've ever seen, but it's wonderful. It's really good. Now, I'm not sure if you aren't a sports fan. See, for something to be a truly one of the great documentaries and it's a sports documentary, it's got to be that even somebody who's not into sports at all would love it. I'm not sure if you're not a sports fan. I, I just don't know. I'm not saying it wouldn't interest people all that much. I'm just saying I, I'm not sure if it would as much. But I personally thought it was great. All the stuff about Rodman and, and Pippen. There was some stuff in there like – I know a lot about sports. There was some stuff in there I didn't know about. And it I, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was really, really great. All right. Listen, guys, we've run out of time for now, but we still got uh, John C. Loves Bucky B, uh, Brian, uh, Captain Blue Pants, and a few others. Do not worry. On tomorrow's show, when we get into the live questions part of the show, we will start things off with your questions. Your questions that we didn't have quite enough time to get to right here. We will start things off with your questions tomorrow. You sent them in. Do not worry. They're going to get answered. But for now, guys, that will do it. For this installment of the John Campion Show, thank you so much for being here. Thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett for making this part of his day and to you for making it part of your day. And of course, to all of you guys who sent in a special thanks to all of you guys who sent in the live questions because number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported this channel while you did it. And all of us here, thank you very much for it. Uh, don't also don't forget, guys, if you haven't done so already, take a second and click on that subscribe button, become a subscriber to our YouTube channel. Also, don't forget, if you want to get caught up a little bit later and you want to listen to it in podcast form, there is the John Campia Show podcast version on your favorite podcasting app of choice. Go and subscribe to it now. That will do it for me for now, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.